We are in a series on making disciples, and we have talked about this chart. This is the older one. Uh, with the subflooring of grace that provides our security, the dynamics of faith, hope, and love, God promises through His love, those promises become our hope. We respond in faith, which brings us to lordship without that foundation below that. Lordship becomes performance-oriented instead of gratitude towards God. And lordship then is a struggle against the world, the flesh, and the devil to follow the commandments of God, which can be summed up in loving God, loving our neighbor, and loving one another. Holiness, goodness, and unity. We then looked at the spiritual disciplines of Scripture, uh, obedience to the Scripture, practicing the presence of God in prayer, and self-denial for the sake of others in the concept of uh, fasting that we looked at. Uh, All of this is important because our development as believers, our spiritual formation if we are children, our transformation if we're converts, or our reformation if we are people who uh, weren't established uh, quite as well as should have been, Uh, is supposed to provide for us a biblical worldview and a mindset. Uh, And the application of those spiritual disciplines are part of that creating of a worldview and a mindset. I'm not going to talk so much about um, worldview because I did that in a whole series um, uh, more recently. Uh, As we talked about the struggle against secularism and post-modernity. Uh, But I do want to talk more about the biblical mindset. Um, One of the ways you'll know a um, a teacher who is a learner. Uh, I I had some professors who uh, I listened to and uh, I talked to students who had had them 10 years sooner or 20 years sooner. And they were actually saying exactly the same thing in the same way. Uh, or reading the book, which means that the old adage of education, of information going from the notes of the professor to the notes of the student without going through the mind of either was really going on. And one of the things that I've noticed over the years in my own struggle, because I see myself as a student first and a teacher second, is that I'm always rethinking, reforming, and thinking through in new ways the information so that I can understand it better, do it better, and therefore communicate it better to others. So when we talk about the mindset, uh, we've talked so much about worldview, I've decided to talk about the worldview kind of as a general perspective of reality. Uh, It maintains the, uh, uh, the commonality of a culture group or a religious group. But the mindset is a priority of focus and attitude. Um, Worldview is this big picture, but you have to focus on something. And that mindset or the setting of your mind on something is what I want to talk about, particularly the biblical model. Now, setting your mind on something depends a lot on the attitude you have. And so I am tying together in the mindset both the priority of the focus and the attitude that is there. We're going to begin with a text that you're very, 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 very familiar with. 
uh, Romans 12, uh, 1 and 2. We're going to get to verse 3 when we talk about the attitude, but we're going to start with the first two verses. The apostles, having written 11 chapters in Romans to tell what God is doing first with the Jews and then with Israel, I mean, then with the nations, uh, for the Gospels to the Jew first and also the Greek And the judgment of God is to the Jew first and also the Greek. There's an advantage of the Jews. They've had the oracles of God. They've had the scripture. They're the only culture that has been created by God to be a light to the other nations that have somewhat stumbled in darkness in that context. But the Messiah has come so that both the Jews who can't keep the law, though they have it, and the Gentiles who can't keep the law, though they don't have it, are all caught under sin, but brought by the grace of God into salvation. And Paul, at the end of chapter 11, breaks out in a doxology about God's wisdom and glory and who can fathom that. And then he says, therefore, so based on everything I've said about the plan of God, I beseech you, I urge you, brethren... By the mercies of God, given to Jew and Gentile, to present your bodies, yourselves, a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God. He's using a sacrificial um, language here, which is your spiritual service of worship. In other words, give yourself to God. And then he says, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that word mind there, uh, so that you may prove or demonstrate what the will of God is, that which is good, that which is acceptable, and that which is complete. So he's basically telling us that since we've been saved by grace, since we have come to the Lord, what he wants us to do is set our mind. And our mind has a problem. As we give ourselves to God, our mind has been formed and conformed into a world, a culture, a system that is not biblically based and founded. And therefore, these Gentile uh, believers who were coming out of the Greco-Roman world, as we are part of the Greco-Roman world, are required to transform their mind. Now they had to transform their mind from a Greco-Roman pagan world to a Judeo-Christian biblical worldview. We have to transform our mind from a Greco-Roman secular worldview into a Judeo-Christian biblical worldview. The dynamics are somewhat different. The process, however, is the same. By use of the spiritual disciplines, the reading and doing of the word, by practicing the presence of God in all our ways acknowledging him, because there is no no God zone, and in denying ourselves and our passions to follow the ways of the Lord, we are being transformed into the image of his son. So this process is about, we're not to be minded, we're not to have our minds set on the world uh, and the culture that we find ourselves in. Now, this culture, this world, at the present time, in the zeitgeist, or the spirit of the time that you and I live in, 
is very much focused on success, personal success, and personal esteem. The focus is on success and the attitude is on good self-esteem, almost to the point of arrogance. So that I run into a lot on the campus <clears throat> uh, well-meaning young Christian men and women who want to do something great for God and change the world. So that they will be a success in living their purpose and they will do something that God will go, wow, that was great. I didn't think, I didn't even think of that. There's almost an arrogance in this thing. And I keep telling them that God wants you to be faithful to Him. Be faithful to a great God. Don't do great things for a God. And that the attitude is not an attitude of arrogance, but it is one of humility. Uh, as the scripture we read earlier today, Lord, I have not put myself into things that are too far above me. This humbleness of mine. So I want to talk about that. Whether we are uh, formed as children or transformed as converts or being reformed because we are remediating ourselves, this is really important. Now Paul talks about this in a process way in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And again he uses sacrificial and priestly language when he does it. In Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 21, the Apostle says, If you indeed have heard him, and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, that which you were conformed to in this world, that you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts and desires, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And you put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, being created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Now, really important to catch this, so I'm going to move away from where I am over to, we have the furniture here of the tabernacle, so, this area of the tabernacle, which would have been the courtyard area, is where the priests would operate at the altar, and then before they went into the holy place, which is the place of prayer, they would remove their garments, leaving only their linen ephod, they would wash in the labor, and that cleansing of the dirt and the ashes and the stuff and the blood that was there, then they would put on their clean garment as they entered into the holy place. Not the holy of holies, but the holy place. So we have this kind of removing that old stained by the world, cleansing our mind by the washing of the water of the word, and uh, water that's put in uh, fonts today is water mixed with oil uh, as a reminder that the Word is inspired by the Spirit and illuminated by the Spirit. And so that transformation of the mind, he says, in the spirit of your mind, and then put on the new man who is created after Christ. That's the process that you and I are in. We don't simply come to Jesus 
say the sinner's prayer and excuse me, presto changeo, we're all different. I, there's verses that sound like that. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What he's saying is, you're now part of the new creation. Your spirit has been born again. You got the same old body, getting older all the time. And you have your mind, which has been conformed to the world. Get it transformed. Take off that old man. Get transformed in the renewing of your mind by the word and the prayer and the self-denial. And then put on the righteousness of the saints, which is obedience to the word of God. That's a process. And that's a process we have to do every day and we have to do throughout our lifetime. Uh, This weekend was my... Uh, 50th high school reunion. I didn't go to the big thing. I went to one of the little side things. But I got to thinking of 50 years. That seems crazy. Uh, when I was there, there was a guy who thought I was thought I was dead. Didn't think I was dead when I when he saw me, but he thought I'd been dead because my dad died in my senior year during the Christmas break on New Year's Eve. So uh, I left school, went to Northern California. Uh, my dad died of a lung disease. So he said, I thought you had a lung disease and you died, right? So the rumors of my death were somewhat exaggerated, right? Uh, but the reality is, in some sense, I'm not the person I was then. That guy did die. I, but it wasn't a one-time thing. If I go back, I don't see this progression from complete rebel to God to complete faithfulness to God. Right? What I see is a struggle. The struggle is clearer the more my mind is set on the goal. And that goal is not in this world. It's in the kingdom to come. And therefore, I have to constantly realize I've dressed for the old way. And I have to take that off. Renew my mind through the spiritual disciplines and particularly the word. And then move forward In that sense. So the mindset is the focus of what we do. It will include the attitude. I'll talk about that. It's what we pay attention to. What we think about. And how we pay attention. And think about those things. So what is it that we are supposed to. Be focused on. Well. Paul says. Those things that were gained to me. I've counted as loss. And I have. I am grasping on for that which I have been grasped upon. It's an odd text. Uh, What he's basically saying is, uh, it's as if God has reached down to grab me. And as he reached down to grab me and he's got a hold of me, I'm grabbing as well. Now, will my hand sustain me? No, his hands. We are in his hands. No one plucks us out of the Father's hand. But we grab on because we're we're pressing towards the goal of the high calling in Christ Jesus. To be like Him does not appear what we shall be, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. And so that transformation, which will ultimately happen at the resurrection, is part of what we're doing. We are struggling towards obedience 
and characteristics related to the kingdom and the new creation, even though we are still in this creation and subject to all the things that are part of that. Well, how do we do that? We have to change our focus. If you focus on the world, you will begin to change your behavior in accordance with the world. If you think about the kingdom and the things that come, then you will begin to change your behavior in that direction. So the focus is really important in that context. So I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Again, most of these passages you're very, very familiar with. Some of them I'm not having you look at. I'm just quoting them uh, because I know you know them. In chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, uh, beginning at verse 14, he says, Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Notice that his focus is not on now, but on then. The resurrection. We know that the one who raised Jesus is going to raise us. And he's going to raise us all together. That's our focal point. All things are for your sake. So that the grace which is spreading to more and more people. May cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. So we're not losing heart. Though the outer man is decaying. Our inner man is being renewed day by day. And the momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comprehension. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So just like Randy said, a lot of this stuff is just stuff. Just stuff. And it's going. You know? When I was in high school, they used to say, you can't take it with you. I don't know if people still say that. You can't take it with you. And my response was always, then I'm not going, right? I'll just stay with the stuff, right? Uh, you don't really have that option, right? That's the fool who built bigger barns. And God said, your soul will be quiet tonight. Now whose will these be, right? These things, whatever you do, okay, um, there will be an enormous... I think, deserved accolade and, uh, and speaking well and positive of John McCain. But it won't be long before there will be people who go, who's that? Okay. There is nothing in this life that is eternal. It's all temporal. Our focus is to be on the eternal, not on the temporal. Now that's why we have to walk by faith, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We have to walk by faith and not by sight. Because faith trusts that what God says is beyond the veil, is in fact beyond the veil. Because if it isn't, Paul's pretty clear about this, we're of all men most miserable. Okay, We deny ourselves. We focus on spiritual things in this life instead of doing what everybody else is doing. And then it turns out there is nothing afterwards. And we're pretty foolish. On the other hand, if this is temporary and that is eternal, 
It goes back to what I used to say, would you rather have a Cadillac now and a Yugo for eternity, or a Yugo now and a Cadillac for eternity? Probably not the best example. I don't know if I want either one of those, but you get the idea, right? The idea of something now that's great will not be great in eternal perspective, and something that's meaningless in the present may have great eternal value. And so that's what we're to do. And walking by faith and not by sight is keeping our mind set on the things of the Scriptures. So, let's look at another passage. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. I could be talking about this in a lot of verses. This seems to be a major emphasis of the New Testament. I don't hear it preached much. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. This is clear post-resurrection thinking. (coughs) It's post-ascension thinking. It's realizing that he sat down at the right hand of the Father until his enemies are made his footstone, and then he will come and receive the kingdom and establish what's going on. And we have been raised with him, and we are seated with him in high places. Well, no, we're not. We're down here on the 91 in traffic. That's where our body is. But our mind needs to be focused on him. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You can just see these verses all through there, right? So he says... Set your mind on the things above and not on the things on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is our life is revealed, that's the second coming, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. We're actually in some sense in disguise right now. Because when people look at us, They think we're just another one of them. But we're not. We are children of the living God, born again by His Spirit, justified by His resurrection, waiting to be revealed with Him at the time to come. We should be preparing for that. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry because you're loving the world and not God. And it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. Why are we acting like them? And in those things you once walked when you were living in them. But now, put away Anger and wrath and malice and slander and abusive speech. In other words, pull that stuff down. Take it off. Be transformed in the renewing of your mind. Don't lie to each other because you've laid aside the old self with its practices. And you put on the new self which is being renewed day by day to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who has created him. And that is a renewal in which there is no... Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free man, but Christ is all and in all. The resurrection, all of that goes away. 
So we live as if we're part of that future and minimally live in this context. Well, how do we do this? It'd be nice if God set our mind on it. Wouldn't that be great? I would love it. He caused my spirit to go from death to life. Well, can't you change my mind? Can't you just, can't God just go, and all of a sudden, I'm thinking spiritual thoughts. That'd be great. And if he would agree, I would agree, right? But he doesn't do that. He says, that's your job. That's why I'm telling you to do it. I want you to get your mind straight. You set your mind on these things. So how do we do that? Well, Paul gives us an indication in Romans chapter 8. And it's always dangerous for me to go to Romans 8 because that is one of the chapters that captures me. But I'm going to try to stay clear here. In Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 6, Paul says, The mind that is set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. Now, you know this. We all have experienced that thing where our flesh and our mind that is fleshly and our connection to the world simply says, I really don't want the Bible to say this. Okay? I just, let's just take those verses out of the Bible. Remember when my dad was in the hospital, he started reading the Bible and somebody had uh, underlined his Bible because uh, so, he didn't know the Bible very well and the guy underlined some verses for him. And it was a Catholic hospital, it was St. Joseph's. And a little nun, <laughs> little nun came in, picked up my dad's Bible, looked at it and saw the lines and said, hmm, they just mark out what they don't believe. <laughs> they weren't marked out, they were underlined, but that's okay, you know. But the idea was, uh, you know there are some verses that you wish weren't there. And usually they're commands. Or they're attitude things. Right? Because the mind that's set on those things is kind of hostile to God. Okay? Why did that have to be there, God? Why did you have to put that one there? Right? You've got to take that one out and put this one in. So, the reality is that Paul says, if you set your mind on the flesh, if you set your mind on the world, uh, you're going to become more and more hostile to God. Jesus said it this way, can't serve two masters. You will love one and hate the other. You'll cling to one and reject the other. Right? So Paul says, the mind that's set on uh, the flesh is hostile towards God. Then he says... Uh, it, can, it does not subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do it. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. How do we please God? Those who come to God must believe that He is. And that He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. How do we seek Him? By faith and by obedience. Trust and obey. However... You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive 
because of righteousness. That old man is decaying. Okay? As it decays, we should be pulling that junk off. Getting rid of it, right? The new man is renewed day by day. As we wait for this to happen. Now, if you continue to read, Paul is going to go on and say that what ultimately is going to happen is that the sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed at the adoption of sons. Important to understand that most Christians don't understand the adoption deal because we think of adoption as taking a kid who's not mine and making him mine. And that was true in the Roman world, but Paul's not using adoption there. He's using adoption the way we adopt a budget. Okay, Here's the budget. Here's the old budget. Here's the new budget. We're going to get rid of the old budget, and we're going to adopt the new budget. What does that mean? We're going to put it into effect. At the resurrection, you and I will no longer be children of God. We will be adult sons and daughters of God, whatever that means. And we will be put into full effect in God's kingdom as stewards, based on what we've learned, as children here in this life. That's why obedience to God in this life pays dividends in the next life. And Jesus says, you don't want your reward here, you want it there. So, the biblical mindset is to be led by the Spirit as opposed to being led by the flesh and, in effect, by the world. Paul gives us details of this in Galatians uh, chapter 5. I'm going to do that real quick. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to get to this passage at the end of this series, which is coming up really quick. Because the ultimate goal of the process of our maturing is for the fruit of the Spirit to develop in us. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is not acting. The fruit of the Spirit is the character that begins to show in our life as we mature in the Lord. That's why if you've got a brand new Christian and they're demonstrating the Spirit, the, fl- the fruit of the Spirit, that's probably a facade. And it won't last. You find an old Christian who's gone through the mill. And you see the spirit demonstrated in their life by this fruit. That has been a maturing that's taken place in their life. So Paul says this. In uh, 5.16. Walk by the spirit and you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. This is really important. If your mind is set on the Spirit, rather than the flesh, then that's where you're going to be led. And if your mind is on the flesh, rather than the Spirit, that's where you're going to be led. Well, how do I know which one it is? Because I have a lot of people who tell me, I'm being led by the Spirit. And I go, no, you're not. And they say, yes, I am. Because they're feeling something inside, you know. Kind of thing going on. And And the Spirit is just leading them. And he's, where is the Spirit leading them? Right into the indulgence of the flesh. Well, that ain't the Spirit of God. That's the flesh, right? So Paul says, if the Spirit is leading you, you're not going to indulge the flesh. And if you're following the flesh, you won't indulge the Spirit. So, how do we know what those are? Well, he gives us an idea. 
The flesh sets its desire, verse 17, against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another, so you cannot do the things that you please. Now, he's talked about that in Romans 7. We all know that text. What I want to do, I don't do. What I end up not doing, I should do. My mind is trying to serve God, but my flesh is trying to serve uh, sin. He says, if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Really important that we understand that. I got a lot of people who think that what that means is the law is gone. If I'm being led by the Spirit, the speed limits go away. Because there is no law. Okay? That is replacement theology, and that is false. Okay? So let me uh, give my example. It's the best one I can come up with. I wish I could come up with a better one. But let's say somebody who's fully capable of driving, but does not speak a word of English, is here... And you have a translator, and the translator says, uh, you, you cannot break the speed limits when you're driving here. And the person says, how will I know? And I say to them, follow me. I will drive the speed limit, and you won't break it. If you follow me, you will not break the speed limit, because you're not under them. I'm paying attention to them, Right? If I speed and take that guy there, I'm leading him into, into sin. The Spirit of God will not lead us into sin. It will keep us within the frame of the commandments of God. And therefore, that's why Paul says, then you're not under that. You don't have to worry about the commandments if the Spirit's really leading you, because you're not going to violate any of them. But if you're violating them, it isn't the Spirit. Okay? So he says, what are those? The deeds of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envyings, drunkenness, carousing, and things like that. I love that. Things like that. All you know, that kind of stuff. And I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you before, that those who practice, there's that word, those who engage habitually in these things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because those who practice sin are on the road to death. Those who practice righteousness are on the road to life. And as you struggle towards the road of life, and you're not going to do it perfectly until the flesh is fixed by resurrection... But as you struggle against that old man, crucify him daily and walk in the other way, what will begin to happen is the Spirit of God will take root in you and you will begin to produce fruit. Now, I've watched fruit trees my whole life. My grandfather had a farm. I've watched fruit. I've never seen a fruit tree going... There it is. Right? Okay? The struggle against the flesh doesn't bring the fruit of the Spirit. And the more you try to fight the flesh on your own, you're going to be minded on that. If you're minded on the Spirit, what begins to happen is, certain things will begin to manifest in your life. And Paul mentions those as well. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and Paul, I loved it. By the way, 
There's no law against any of those. In fact, obedience to the law brings these things out. So, the idea is, since we live by the Spirit, that's how we were born again, let us walk by the Spirit, by faith and by the Spirit, in these spiritual disciplines that we've talked about. Now, Paul talks about this in a number of ways, and he adds it to prayer. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace that passes all understanding, peace is one of the fruit of the Spirit, that passes all understanding, will keep your heart and your mind. Then he says, now if there's anything of good repute, right? If there's anything good here, think on these, set your mind on these things. Okay? So all through the scriptures, this mind change, this repentance from the way we were, to set our mind on things above is found throughout the scriptures. And if we will do that, we will begin to see that the old man is lessened and the new man is embraced and we are transformed from glory to glory into the image of His Son individually and in community so that we begin to comprehend and apprehend a little bit that which we have been apprehended for. And while we won't see it all in this life, we will get glimpses of it, and we will be assured that we are of Him, and that His Spirit dwells in us. Let's pray.